You're listening to SBS News. The word can't is not in Gabby Vasale's vocabulary. There's not much I can't do. I just may need some assistance, whether it's some modifications or something. So the C word, the can't do it, is not a word I really like to use because it's limiting, whereas I don't mind saying my limitations because it may mean that I can't do something as well as I used to. I may just have to do it slightly different. But to me, the end goal should be the same. Fifteen years ago, at the age of 35, she was hit by a car while riding a bike during her training for a triathlon. It resulted in a traumatic brain injury and a spinal injury that took her months and years to recover from. During the acute stage of recovery, she knew movement would be a big part of her healing and ultimately her independence. She found a supporter and a rehab physiotherapist, Leanne Hassett, and it was the confidence boost she needed. You know, someone like Leanne recognised early days that I wanted to get back into and how important that physical activity was for me, not just for the physical benefits, for the mental health, but also it allowed me to go on to feel that anything was possible. If I could, you know, achieve those little physical goals, why can't I take literally the next step to the next level of, you know, maybe not running, but doing more physical activity or going into getting a job? You know what I mean? So again, it gives you the confidence to achieve in other parts of your life. Finding the modifications that would enable her to continue to play sports was challenging at the time, but using her network, she found solutions. Using a modified bike, Gabby went on to achieve her goal, to complete a triathlon in France. Most of my activity is modified, so I ride a modified bike. If I play sports, it's usually modified equipment, so wheelchair basketball or something like that. So I have done a triathlon since my accident. I've done a couple, actually. But I've also gone back and, ironically, ridden in the the Pyrenees. I've I've gone and done it again on a modified bike. These days, she moves about an hour a day, whether it's getting from place to place with a modified bike or attending a Pilates class. When time permits, she participates in wheelchair basketball. She says her quality of life would be vastly different without the regular physical activity. I really think I'd be probably, I would say, morbidly obese, doped up to the eyeballs of medica and drugs because I would be probably in a lot of pain. For me, it was in a way, I've said to people since the pandemic, actually, it's frustrating, but you've got an idea what it's like for people who have a disability that that is their life potentially all the time, not when we've got a pandemic. So anybody that hasn't done exercise for a while doesn't real at all doesn't realise the benefits and I call it, jokingly call it the, the endorphins, the dolphins, but I chase the dolphins, chasing that great feeling that, you know, you can get when you, you're active. Those benefits have been documented in the first systematic review and meta-analysis of the impacts of regular physical activity on people with a physical or intellectual disability. Associate Professor Leanne Hassett at the University of Sydney's School of Health Sciences says substantial barriers exist. Adults with disabilities are at least twice as likely to be physically inactive as the general adult population. That got Hassett thinking, what is the evidence base on the topic and can it be synthesised to help find solutions? Our idea was to kind of look more broadly, regardless of what health condition has, to look at the benefits for sport and physical recreation for people living with any type of physical disability or intellectual disability. And we're interested in that because really... 
if we want to think about sort of scale up and for there being lots of opportunities out in the community, you know, we probably need to just think more broadly about people living with disability as opposed to just having, you know, specific activities for people for particular health conditions and such. So, so yes, it's a first. The review examined 74 randomised control trials involving nearly 3,000 individuals. The most common recreational activities evaluated included yoga, dance and tai chi. Conducted on average twice a week for between 6 and 52 weeks. The gender split was roughly equal and the average age was 55. Most participants had a physical disability rather than an intellectual disability. Those with a physical disability had impairments that could be modified for participation in para-sports. Those with an intellectual disability had impairments eligible for Special Olympics. Hassett says using the Cochrane Gold Standard approach for systematic reviews and meta-analysis, common conclusions can be drawn. We were able to look across a range of different outcomes, so you know people's mobility levels, uh, their ratings of quality of life, fatigue, depression, anxiety. So we were able to look across a range of those. And we really found benefits across all of those different outcomes um, when people participated in recreation activities. And so we're able to show that overall. And then we're also then able to break it down to look at the different health conditions and also to look at the different types of recreation activities to, to give it, you know, a little bit more indication where the evidence is strongest. She says there are scalable strategies that could be implemented to boost the lower physical activity rates among the disability population. And it will require multiple professions and sections of the community to work together, as well as funding support in the NDIS system. I think if we want it to be scalable, then um, you know there needs to be opportunities out in the community. So your local neighbourhood yoga program, how can we make sure that that's accessible for someone with a disability to be able to go and join? So we found a lot of really important information around um, the types of ways that the that the class was modified or the extra equipment needed was really minor, um, you know, so they might have just held a pose for a shorter period of time or they might have needed a chair next to them. So there was really little things that only needed to be changed. Across Australia, there are organisations working to promote grassroots participation through training and resources in adaptive or disability sports. Sport Inclusion Australia works primarily with athletes with an intellectual disability. Disability Sports Australia works with athletes in wheelchair sports, including those with spinal cord injuries and amputees. Aidan Shaw is the organisation's general manager. He says post-pandemic and with the Paralympics coming up this year, there's been a surge of interest in boosting disability inclusion and grassroots participation, but there's also apprehension about how to go about it. We saw it during COVID, that during COVID, disability participation was one of the first things that really went away, and and, and justifiably, because there was obviously a lot of people that had chronic health conditions and needed to be protected during that time. But in that return to sport, what we've seen is a lot of sports have been prioritising mainstream participation and not necessarily disability participation. And it's a really interesting period of time in the sector because we're coming into this Paralympic year that's going to be talked about a lot over the course of the next 12 months. But how do you translate that mass awareness of disability sport into grassroots participation? He says the organisation has seen success with training resources for sporting clubs and recreation providers, including their free online accessibility champion course. Since its release in December, 508 people, mostly coaches, have participated, 
boosting their confidence in the area from as low as 20% up to 90%. What we are seeing, though, is a lot of sporting organisations now have realised the benefits of when they do have an adaptive program because I think for a very long period of time, adaptive sport involved either for an individual that we're told they can either go to a mainstream club or they have to play separately. Whereas now the focus is on just the experience of the individual participating in sport, not necessarily whether it's a segregated or non-segregated program. And what that's meant is that coaches are becoming increasingly more confident when they understand that, that engaging a person with disability in adaptive sport is no different to anyone else. It's just the additional support might be required to allow them to participate. And it actually becomes more of a coaching challenge rather than, I guess, what it was previously, where it was a societal attitudinal issue. Sports management professor Simon Darcy at the University of Technology, Sydney, is a quadriplegic and a power wheelchair user. He says there are more options now than ever before, but challenges to getting on the sport pathway include access to inclusive training spaces and also equipment cost, such as a competition wheelchair in some cases. People, when they can get the right equipment and the right support to participate, um, it can be really life-changing because uh, we're so sport-obsessed. People want to belong, and they want to belong in the sport that they want to follow, and that belonging might be as a participant, but it might also be as part of the sporting family, uh, officiating, uh, getting involved as a volunteer, whatever it happens to be that you want to do. Uh, brings that sense of belonging and that you're with your flock. He participates in an exercise therapy program, Neuromoves, that's run in affiliated gyms via telehealth or through home visits. He says in all disability subgroups he researched, including children and those with intellectual disabilities, the need is the same. And it also extends the circle of friends. Uh, it means that parents uh, with children with disability also don't feel isolated because there's been many times and when we did some of the research that we did, I'd have people phoning up in tears saying they're just trying to get their kids an opportunity at the, at the school they're going to. Headmasters phoned up and said, well, and they'll use things like safety and other things as a, an issue, which isn't true. Um, and we're seeing some big changes in that space uh, with new programs that are uh, coming into break down some of those barriers and support people that need the support to be able to participate in whatever sport it happens to be. Wheelchair Sports New South Wales ACT set up a website in July 2022 to list more than 150 adaptive activities. As an ambassador for the website, theadaptivemovement.com, Gabby says it gives people ideas about how to research what options are available. This website allows you to see what organisations out there have some kind of um, sport or activity that is modified. So it's about considerations, but you're not as mobile as you were, but you can still do that sport. So that's something really good. And I wish I had that. I, that was available when I had my accident, but, you know, it wasn't, but it is now. I would say start small because, again, it's the basis of something's better than nothing. So if you didn't weren't doing any activity last week, one walk... This week is more than you did last week. That's great. Then you slowly increase it. Be with Kwan, SBS News.